everybody, welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, where legends share legendary stories. Please be sure to subscribe to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, celebrating the WNBA's first dynasty, the Houston Comets. This episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast is presented by the Town Place Suites Waco Northeast location. Visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame and book your stay at the Town Place Suites Waco Northeast. Hi, I'm your host, Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money. Welcome to this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, where legends share legendary stories. In this episode, presented by the Town Place Suites Waco Northeast, we celebrate the Houston Comets. The Comets were one of the original franchises of the WNBA, which tipped off in 1997. The Houston Comets won four straight WNBA championships from 1997 through 2000. Like true comets crossing through the night sky, inspiring with grace, brilliant light, and tremendous force before swiftly disappearing. So were the Houston Comets, a true dynasty that dominated the WNBA's first four seasons. The Comets won four consecutive championships, overcame tremendous adversity, and set a true standard of excellence in women's professional basketball. The team then quickly dissolved, leaving only memories and inspiration. In this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, we'll delve into the story of the Houston Comets with two-time WNBA MVP Cynthia Cooper, three-time WNBA Coach of the Year Van Chancellor, and William Stickney Jr., who covered the Comets for the Houston Chronicle. The seeds of the Houston Comets story were planted all the way back in the early 1970s. The Education Amendments of 1972 included Title IX. The law created unprecedented opportunities for female athletes at the high school and college level because it required public institutions to provide equal access to sports participation and started women's basketball, track, softball, and other sports teams programs across the country. According to the Women's Sports Foundation, founded by Billie Jean King, before Title IX, only an estimated 1 in 27 young women participated in sports. Today, that number is estimated at about 40%. Title IX passed when future comets like Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Swoops were children. Future Comet star and the WNBA's first ever college draft pick, Tina Thompson, hadn't been born yet. By the time they all reached high school, however, girls' high school athletic programs were fully established. Cynthia Cooper remembers for us the moment basketball called her name and her high school coach teaching her the game. I was uh, around 15 years old. I was in the gym, and I saw a young lady penetrate to the basket, put the ball behind her back, and lay it up. And I was like, wow, that was, that was cool. I want to learn how to do that. At the time, I was playing tennis, softball, and running track. 
So that kind of sparked my interest in basketball. That next summer, I went to the assistant coach at the high school I was going to, Lock High School, and asked him if he would teach me how to play basketball. His name was Lucius Franklin. Fast forward a couple years later, I was playing for a state championship for Lock High School. So that kind of started my career in basketball. Cooper grew up in the Watts section of Los Angeles. Like many kids in tough neighborhoods, athletics helped her stay on a positive course. Cooper was named LA City Player of the Year after averaging 31 points a game. While Cooper was starring at Locke High School, Van Chancellor was serving as head coach of the University of Mississippi women's basketball team. He guided Mississippi to 11 straight NCAA tournaments, 14 overall in his 19 seasons as head coach. He was named SEC Coach of the Year three times. Cynthia Cooper made her own mark in college basketball at USC. The Trojans made the Final Four three times in her collegiate career and won two national championships. Later, she won an Olympic gold medal in 1988 with the U.S. women's team. While male players of Cynthia Cooper's magnitude joined NBA teams, Cooper needed to go overseas to follow her pro basketball dreams. Cooper first played pro ball in Spain and led the league in scoring. She then dominated in Italy, winning eight scoring titles. As Cooper starred in Europe, Brownfield, Texas native Cheryl Swoops built a name for herself at Texas Tech. Swoops scored a championship game record 47 points in the 1993 National Championship game to lift Texas Tech to a win over Ohio State. Swoops became a household name in America. She had a Nike shoe designed in her name and helped lead the U.S. to an Olympic gold medal in the 1996 Olympics. In the meantime, interest in women's basketball grew tremendously in the United States. The American Basketball League, known as the ABL, formed as an all-women's professional league. The opportunity to play pro basketball in America excited Cooper. She long dreamed of playing in front of her family and friends. By this point, she was in her 30s, but still proved herself as an exceptional talent. Cooper tells us that around that time, she reached out to the ABL. I had contacted the ABL to see if I could play, and they were interested. In March of 1996, over 23,000 fans watched Pat Summit's Tennessee Volunteers win the Women's Division I National Championship game over Georgia in the Charlotte Coliseum in Charlotte, North Carolina. The next night, Kentucky beat Syracuse for the men's title game with an official attendance of just under 20,000 fans. According to the Associated Press, women's college basketball attendance had increased fourfold in the previous 14 years. The official announcement of the WNBA's formation came in April of 1996. League play was scheduled to start in June of 1997. William Stickney Jr. covered the comments for the Houston Chronicle and talks about the excitement generated by the WNBA's possibilities and potential. There had been several attempts previously by organizations to have a professional women's league and for one reason or another, each of them fell by the wayside pretty quickly. So when word got out that the NBA was interested in kind of backing a new league, I think everyone got excited about it. Van Chancellor hoped to coach in the new league. He told us that his prospects weren't that great at the time. Furthermore, Texas Tech's Marcia Sharp and Vanderbilt's Jim Foster were apparently much higher on the Houston Comets list of potential coaches. 
But that didn't deter the energetic chancellor. Okay, in 1996, I was coaching at the University of Mississippi. I was just ready for another challenge in life, and I heard there was going to be a WNBA, so I called Pat Summit at the University of Tennessee and tried to help you know, get involved with some jobs. Well, I struggled getting in, and the comments got down to the next to the last day before the draft and didn't have a coach hired, and they finally got around to offering me the job. And so they asked at the press conference, how did it feel you wasn't the comments' top choice? I said, hey, long time ago, I wasn't in my mother-in-law's top 25. It didn't bother me any. I got the job, and that's how I became the comments coach. Cynthia Cooper also heard about the formation of the WNBA. She set out to contact the league offices and shares that experience with us now. I'd heard about the WNBA. I heard that it was actually going to happen, that it was going to be a league held in the summer, and that the NBA was behind it. And so I was immediately interested. So I went overseas. I was playing in Italy. I put together a video package of me and a resume and that sort of thing. And right before I was about to send it, to the offices of the NBA at the time. I called the head and let them know that I was, you know, I was interested in playing and that I would be sending this information along to them. I spoke to Renee Brown and she was like, hey, we've been looking for you. We need an address to send a contract to. You're in our top eight. Renee Brown was the WNBA's director of player personnel at the time and worked in the league's office for 20 years. Cooper tells us that the Comets didn't have to use international postage to send her a contract. She had an off-season mailing address much closer to the Comets team offices. Yes, I, I lived in San Antonio for a couple years when I trained for the 88 Olympics. Then about three years later, I moved to Sugarland. So when I was selected to play for the Houston Comets, I was already living in Sugarland. The original WNBA teams first formed by allocating two star players to each team. William Stickney Jr. explains the process that placed USC star Lisa Leslie with the Los Angeles Sparks, UConn star Rebecca Lobo with the New York Liberty, and Cheryl Swoops with the Houston Comets. What they wanted to do was place a player with each team who was rather popular in that particular region, kind of gaining their name from what they accomplished in college basketball. So in the case of the Comets, it was a natural for them to be seated, if you will. Cheryl Swoops, she had led Texas Tech to an NCAA championship, and uh, of course that would be the natural attraction for the entire state of Texas, really, because she was that popular. When it came time to allocate the next player to the Comets, Texas Sports Hall of Fame member Carol Dawson, general manager of the Comets and the Houston Rockets, left at the chance to obtain Cynthia Cooper. Van Chancellor fills us in more about the player allocation process and Carol Dawson's swift move to obtain Cynthia Cooper. They put Lisa Leslie in Los Angeles. They put Jennifer Gillum in Phoenix, Rebecca Lobo in New York. They put Cheryl Swoops in Houston. Well, they then had a conference call, and they didn't assign players with Cynthia Cooper, so they just said, well, let's see who wants to go where. And Carol Dawson did his research. Nobody else did theirs, and he did his research, and he found out living in Houston that there was a 36-year-old player phenomenon, Cynthia Cooper, over in Italy, averaging 38 points a game. So when it came around, they said, Houston, who do you want? He said, well, we'll take Cynthia Cooper. So they give him to it, and that's how we got Cooper and Swoops together. I, I guess I'd been playing overseas for so long. I was older. Some people didn't really know what I was doing. 
But, you know, the, the one thing about the NBA and the WNBA, they do their homework. And, yeah, I heard later on that, you know, Carol Dawson had seen some film, and even though I was older, he was like, man, she could play. The Comets stayed vigilant after acquiring both Cooper and Swoops. The WNBA built initial rosters through three drafting phases. The allocation of two players, then two rounds of an elite player draft for women with pro ball experience, and finally, a collegiate draft. In the elite draft, the Comets selected Wanda Guyton and Jeanette Arcane. Arcane had led the Brazilian national team to a silver medal in the 1996 Olympics. Also in that elite draft, the Phoenix Mercury selected Nancy Lieberman, a member of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame 2019 induction class. You can learn more about Lieberman and hear some of her induction speech in the 2019 induction episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. The Houston Comets won the WNBA's draft lottery and gained the first pick in the third phase of the draft. The Comets selected USC forward Tina Thompson. The combination of Thompson, Swoops, and Cooper created what would become known as the Big Three. Chancellor tells us a story about drafting Thompson, who had recently committed to the WNBA over the ABL, as players signed contracts with the WNBA as a league rather than specific teams. I had studied the game. I got my job on Friday. I went up on it, and she signs with our league instead of the other league. I called Jim Foster at Vandentar Vandiver's at Stanford, and they all recommended Tina Townsend. I didn't know Tina Townsend, but they said go with a young player, and by a stroke of luck, we picked her, and the rest is history. And then now, I had friends calling me at 6 o'clock in the morning waking me up telling me to take Tina Thompson too. Now, I had a lot of people pressuring me to take her. I got a call at 1 o'clock at night from Jim Foster. I got a call at 6 o'clock from another coach. I mean, I was getting calls from everywhere. The Comets then held tryouts. Cooper tells us her earliest memories of joining the team and one player standing out during the tryouts. I guess the first memory was the tryout where, you know, we went out to, I think it was St. Thomas University, and Kim Parrott came out of that tryout. And I just remember us in the war room and us just in the back discussing, you know, the different players and the talents and our needs. And really everybody in the room was unanimous that, you know, we had to pick up Kim Parrott. She was just a firecracker. She had the personality we needed to lead this group of players, you know, with all this personality. Stigney and Chancellor talk about what was thought to be Perot's original chances to make the team. What's funny about that, Van talks best about Perot. He said when he was holding tryouts for the team, he said at that point, Perot was 57th on a 55-man roster. He said she was the one person that he figured just had little or no chance at all of making his team. And she became quite the opposite because of what she brought as far as being a floor general, what she brought as far as knowledge of the game, what she brought as far as athletic talent at the guard position. Everybody loved her. I I tried to cut her. I didn't want to pick her, but she and I got along really well. Kim Parade had more influence on the Houston Comets than any players ever played, including the big three. The season approached and the WNBA touted We Got Next in their marketing slogans. TV deals with NBC, ESPN, and the Lifetime Network 
ensured that many games, including the championship, would be televised to large audiences. Cooper, Chancellor, and Stickney all speak about the excitement surrounding the new league shared by players, coaches, and fans alike. I was so incredibly excited that I didn't really remember a lot. I was just like, yes, I'm playing in the WNBA. I'm playing in the WNBA. I'll have the opportunity to play in front of my family, my friends. Well, first of all, I was so excited about starting a team. And then I was at Ole Miss, and I had about in my mind the fourth or fifth best talent. Georgia, Tennessee, Auburn all had really good players. And so when I got here and I went to my first practice over at Houston Baptist University, I had Thompson and Cooper, and I went over and told Peggy Gillum, who I'd coached with a long time, I said, Coach, we're going to be pretty good coaches this summer. I was just kidding. I said, we got two great players. And then when I saw them and I saw the maturity level of the players, and I had Jeanette Darkane, Kim Parrott, Tammy Jackson. So I really thought coaching-wise, even at the end of my first practice, I'd die and gone to heaven. Those fans that did come out were fans of the college game, and so they were very enthusiastic. They were loud, energetic, The Houston Comets played their first regular season game at Cleveland against the Rockers. A sold-out crowd watched the Comets' 20-point win as Thompson, Cooper, and Arcane combined for 55 points, nearly topping the Rockers' 56 points as a team. A few days later, a sold-out crowd at the Summit in Houston witnessed the Comets' first home game. The team treated fans to a 15-point win over the Phoenix Mercury. The Comets won four of their first five games. Later, they won five of six. The team accomplished those streaks without Cheryl Swoops, who was on maternity leave. Meanwhile, point guard Kim Parrott found her place running the Comets' offense. As the players predicted, Parrott completely gelled with the team's chemistry. Despite the winning streaks and both the offense and defense gelling on the floor, the team trailed in the Eastern Conference standings. Van Chancellor added an offensive play late in the season that focused on Cooper. Cooper wasn't exactly thrilled with the idea of the new plan, however. We were three and a half games out of first place with eight games, and we were in Utah at a junior college practice out there, and I changed the offense. I did away with the Ole Miss offense and put in a screen and roll play with Thompson on the side with Thompson and Cooper. And I'll never forget it. Cooper told me, she said, this might be the worst play I've ever seen. I said, well, it might be a bad play, but you're going to run it. In the next four games, she scored 40, 38, 41, and 35. And she began to like that play. We called it the C play. That's probably the play that made us champions. The Comets finished the season atop the WNBA's Eastern Conference. Cooper was named the league's most valuable player. Van Chancellor won WNBA Coach of the Year honors. Four teams made the inaugural WNBA playoffs based on a one-game winner-take-all format. The Comets drew the Charlotte Sting in the first round, and the New York Liberty faced the Phoenix Mercury. The Comets dominated the Sting in the first round with a 70-54 win that lifted the team into the first-ever WNBA championship game. The opponent was their conference rival, New York Liberty. The Comets struggled against the Liberty in the regular season, losing the first three matchups between the two squads. The Comets finally gained a win against the Liberty late in the regular season, shortly after Swoops returned to the team and Chancellor added the C play to the offense. 
Houston point guard Kim Parat, the player whose intangibles helped her make the team as a long shot in tryouts, now played an important role. After the Comets first playoff win against the Sting, Coach Chancellor stated that nobody had come as far as Parat that season, and the Comets wouldn't be in the championship game without her. Parat confided in Cooper about being nervous before the championship game. I remember the night before, you know, Kim Parat was so nervous, and I was just like, yo, Kim, you know, what's going on? Like, why are you so nervous? Like, we've worked really hard to get here. And she was like, you know, Coop, I've never won a championship in my entire career. I looked her square in the eyes, and I was like, you're going to win one tomorrow. The Comets led the game from wire to wire and emerged with a 65-51 victory over the New York Liberty to claim the first ever WNBA championship. There is no better feeling for me as a player for the Houston Comets than to win a championship for your city, for your teammates, for all of the sacrifices that you guys have gone through throughout the entire season. So for me, that was a special moment. I came to Houston to win a championship. We've been so close at Ole Miss, and so when we won it, it was one of the greatest thrills of my life. 1997 wasn't just a major success for the Comets, but for the WNBA as a whole. The league exceeded attendance estimates, attracting more than 1 million fans. Television viewership also jumped expectations. The WNBA expanded to 10 teams for the 1998 season, adding the Washington Mystics and Detroit Shock. The Comets moved to the Western Conference and looked to defend their league crown. Cheryl Swoops embarked on her first full-on season. Now remember, Cheryl Swoops was the superstar allocated as the first player on the Comets roster when the league began. Chancellor and Stickney discussed what Cheryl Swoops brought to the table as a player. Cheryl Swoops was as gifted as I've ever seen. She could just run, was a great defensive player, could get key rebounds, had unbelievable athletic ability to go with great basketball ability. She was all world. She could do anything on the basketball court. She could lead the fast break. She could shoot the three-pointer. She was a good rebounder, a good defender. But she also had those leadership qualities. Once Van Chancellor gave them instructions during a timeout, if that needed to be amplified, Cheryl was the one who could do it very easily. Cheryl Swoops, Tina Thompson, league MVP Cynthia Cooper, the big three, each a star-caliber player, all on the same team. 1998 might be viewed as the quintessential Comets season. The 98 Comets took flight to make history with a second straight championship, but created even more history. The journey started with a home win over the New York Liberty. Swoops tallied 28 points, Cooper added 18, and Parrott notched seven steals and seven assists. Thompson led both teams in rebounds, and the Houston Comets were barely getting warmed up. The team won their first five games before losing at Phoenix on June 24th. The Comets went undefeated the entire month of July and reeled off 15 straight wins. They finished the regular season with 27 wins and three losses. As of now, after the WNBA's 2019 season, the 1998 Comets' 900 winning percentage remains a WNBA record. It's important to note that pro teams with record-setting winning percentages don't always win the championship. 
The WNBA adopted a best two out of three format for the 1998 playoffs. The Comets drew the Charlotte Sting in the first round for the second straight year. Houston advanced with two lopsided wins. The finals matchup against the Phoenix Mercury proved much more challenging. Mercury fans created a raucously loud atmosphere for Game 1 in Phoenix. Phoenix center Jennifer Gillum, a star player that Comets coach Van Chancellor coached in college at Mississippi, drove the lane for a go-ahead layup late in the game, and the Mercury walked away with a 54-51 win. The Comets needed to win the next two games at the Compact Center in Houston to defend their title, and the defending champs came out flat in Game 2. Meanwhile, Mercury guard Michelle Timms lit up the scoreboard and scored 21 points. Phoenix held a sizable lead with only eight minutes left in the game. Chancellor made a defensive adjustment aimed to stop Timms. He sent Janeth Arcane into the game on a mission to shut Timms down. If there was one player who Chancellor wanted neutralized, especially at the uh, guard or small forward position, it was automatically thought that all we have to do is bring Arcane off the bench, put her in to defend that particular person, and we're going to shut that person down. And that's usually the way it happened. With a little over seven minutes left in the game, the Comets trailed by 12 as the scoreboard read 62-50 to in the Mercury's favor. A Comets loss would end their historic season by being swept in the finals. Chancellor called timeout. Kim Parrott told the team they had a job to do, that it was time to tighten up, play some defense, and execute their coach's instructions. The Comets responded with their backs against the wall and picked up the transition game. Swoops blocked a shot and Cooper followed it with a layup. On the next possession, Cooper fed Swoops whose basket pulled the Comets to within one. Meanwhile, Arcane's defense shut Tim's out for the rest of the game. When the buzzer sounded, the score stood tied at 66. A swoop steal led to another Cooper transition basket. Houston followed that up with Swoops hitting from the top of the key. Phoenix managed only three points in overtime, as Swoops and Cooper tallied four points each. An incredible comeback lifted the Comets into a decisive Game 3. The Comets won by nine and claimed their second straight title. Cooper led the team in scoring with 23 points, and for the second year in a row, she was named MVP of both the regular season and the finals. Swoops, Parat, and Tina Thompson all added double-digit point totals. Thompson sunk four three-pointers. Chancellor talks about how that aspect of Thompson's play helped guide the Comets to victory. We had two great players in Swoops and Cooper, but we would have never won the championships without Tina Thompson because her three ball would stretch the defense. Stickney adds that Thompson excelled in many areas. She had a great shot from three-point range. She was good in and around the basket, layups, that sort of thing. She was an offensive weapon, but she also was a very good defensive player as well. Cooper, Swoops, and Thompson each made WNBA first team in 1998. Kim Parat, the player who fought hard to simply make the team, established herself as one of the premier point guards in the league and finished second in Defensive Player of the Year ballots. Janeth Arcane came off the bench as a difference maker not only defensively, but also as a tremendous rebounder and was one of the league's best finishers in driving to the basket. The difference makers for the Houston Comets weren't just on the court, however. The team's fan support also stood top-notch. Our fans weren't fans. They were players. They came to play. We had section captains in which we would have people that would run section A, section B, and they had to stop throwing out confetti 
championship. You couldn't see in front of you. There was so much confetti. Our fans were real fans. I think that can uh, best be described by what happened following each championship. There was always a uh, parade and rally in downtown Houston following their championships. And as Van Chancellor used to always say, I like riding on the fire truck. I want to ride the fire truck again. And the fire trucks that would carry the team to City Hall for the ceremony, there was always just a huge flock of people on either side of the street. Once they all convened at City Hall, that entire area in and around City Hall just was completely shut down by all of the fans that came out. The crowds were deep. They ranged in age from the very young to the very old, and everyone not only cheered to the top of their lungs, but had an outstanding time and made it one fantastic party. The Houston Comets and their fans had more celebrating ahead. The team and community also had tremendous heartbreak to face as well. We'll continue traveling with the Houston Comets on their tremendous journey when we return to Celebrating the Houston Comets on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, where legends share legendary stories. Presented by the Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. Hi, this is Hall of Famer Nancy Lieberman, and I listen to the Texas Hall of Fame podcast. And if you're not listening to it, you're missing out. If you've enjoyed listening today, please visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. The museum tells the stories of the greatest athletes and coaches in Texas history by using objects from its collection, which numbers over 15,000. And when you come to Waco, be sure and stay at the Town Place Suites Waco Northeast location, located just eight minutes from the museum on I-35. Town Place Suites by Marriott is an extended day hotel where you can balance work and life as you like with the comfort, flexibility, and affordability you require. Relax and feel at home with a fully equipped kitchen and high-speed internet access. So be sure and book your stay at the Town Place Waco Northeast at one of their 85 brand new suites and enjoy their complimentary breakfast and parking. And now, back to celebrating the Houston Comets on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, where legends share legendary stories. Presented by the Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. Welcome back to the program. When we left off, the Comets had just won the WNBA's first and second championships. Cynthia Cooper won the league's regular season MVP award and postseason MVP award both years. Cooper kept upping her game despite the success. Coach Chancellor was once quoted as saying that if practice was at 11 o'clock, Cooper would be there by 8.30. She talks about how she wouldn't even take no for an answer when it came to practice. You know, I love to practice. And I knew teams were going to come with different you know, ways to stop the Comets and stop Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Swoops and, you know, everyone else, Tina Thompson. And so I love to practice. 
So I remember the battles that Coach Chancellor and I would have when he would want me to rest and I would want to get some shots up. And, you know, we'd be on the road and he'd tell everybody, we don't have practice. You know, I'm over there rolling my eyes and I'm trying to get in the gym. I would call the team and set up an hour where I could get in the gym and get a good workout in or I would be downstairs, you know, on the treadmill or lifting or doing something, you know, to keep me ready Tina Thompson said in a WNBA roundtable interview that she felt she needed to get to practice early because she was a younger player who needed to show initiative. When she got to practice, however, Cynthia Cooper was already there. Thompson said that showed her she needed to be even more serious if veteran players were showing up early. I asked Cynthia Cooper what memories the players talk about when they get together today. She said that bonding over dominoes and card games rank high, although she joked that you needed to be careful against one particular opponent. Well, I think dominoes and spades always pop up because Coach Chancellor is an avid dominoes player. And, you know, you have to be careful. If you're on the team, you've got to be careful because you want playing time. And if you're trying to make the team, you've got to be careful because you want to make the team. I've seen players play him in dominoes and beat him in dominoes and not be at practice the next day. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. So, you know, the dominoes game with Coach Chancellor and Kim Parrott were epic. And, you know, talking mess and talking trash and that camaraderie. And so those stories were definitely in the forefront of, of my memory. After the 1998 season, the Comets soared after winning two straight championships. Kim Parrott started a bi-weekly column in Houston Chronicle's Yo! section late in November of 1998. On New Year's Eve of that year, she shared three goals she had for 1999 in her column. The first was to win a third straight WNBA championship. She also wished to become the best defensive player in the WNBA and to raise awareness about the importance of education and fitness. She urged her readers to also make three goals for the new year. February of 1999 brought shattering news both to the Comets and Kim Parrott. Van Chancellor remembers getting the call. And I was out in February playing golf, and I got a call from Missy, my trainer, and she said that you need to come to my office immediately. And I left the golf course and went there, and she told me that Kim Parrott had cancer, and it, it was tough, and it, she wasn't expected to live a long time. Doctors diagnosed Parrott, a non-smoker, with a rare form of lung cancer. The cancer also metastasized in her brain. She underwent successful brain surgery, but still fought a cancer with a low survival rate. Parrott, teammates, and fans continued to hold out hope for her recovery and return to the Comets. Meanwhile, the American Basketball League, the ABL, folded during the WNBA offseason. Point guard Sonia Henning and two-time ABL All-Star Jennifer Rosati joined the Comets from the ABL. The Comets also acquired Paulina Chikova, a difference maker at the post. Houston set sail to win a third straight league championship with the rest of the WNBA entirely focused on finally dethroning the Comets. The seriousness of Kim Parrott's condition made things doubly difficult, 
but Kim's fighting spirit added inspiration. Emotions weighed even greater on Cynthia Cooper, whose mother had recently passed away. The Comets started the season without Perrot, their inspirational floor general who helped glue the team together, and the team responded by winning 11 of their first 12 games. The Comets built two separate seven-game winning streaks during the season, and Cheryl Swoops became the first player in WNBA history to record a triple-double with 14 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 assists against the Detroit Shock. In late August, the Comets stood 20 games over 500 before the team received the tragic news. Kim Parrott had lost her fight with cancer. That's the toughest thing I've ever been through in my life. She passed away in August, right at the tail end of the season. And, and I just loved her, and I think she's one of the few players I actually think loved me. And when we lost her, uh, it was tough. So, But our team rallied. It, it taken us about a week to 10 days to get over it. Nobody wanted to practice, didn't want to play, didn't want to do nothing. That just The whole team just respected her so much. William Stickney Jr. adds that winning for Kim Parrott became a major motivation from that point forward. Someone at some point would always say, let's do this for Kim. Let's win this game for Kim. It was a galvanizing moment for the entire team, what they went through that particular year when she died. But despite that, and even with the turnover in personnel after her death, everyone always talked about Kim Parrott. Parrott wore jersey number 10 as a comment, and the team adopted a number three for number 10 slogan in an effort to win their third straight league championship in honor of their beloved teammate. The Comets faced the Los Angeles Sparks and future Hall of Famer Lisa Leslie in the Western Conference Finals only a few days after attending a memorial service for their fallen teammate. The Comets lost Game 1 in LA by 15 points. Houston returned home for Game 2, and responded like champions with a crushing 83-55 win. Cynthia Cooper hit a three-pointer in the second half and held up her index finger with one hand and her fist with the other to represent the number 10 in honor of Kim Parrott. The Comets still needed to win Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals to advance to the WNBA Finals. The Sparks held the lead for much of the game, until Tina Thompson switched a three-pointer with about eight minutes left to put the Comets ahead for the first time in the second half. Thompson played much of that game in deep foul trouble. She was a tremendous defensive player. She guarded Lisa Leslie every game. You got six fouls in those days. She guarded Lisa Leslie for 10 minutes with five fouls. What a tremendous accomplishment. And I was going to take her out, and she said, Coach, I can guard her with five fouls. Leave me in. So I did. The Comets won Game 3 by 10 points. Cooper adjusted her game in the series and kept increasing her assist totals. She had a playoff record 12 assists in Game 3. Both Cooper and Swoops scored 23 points each in Game 3, and each Comet that played scored at least four points. The Comets flew to New York for Game 1 of the 1999 WNBA Finals against the New York Liberty. Houston walked away with a 13-point win in Game 1 and headed home with high hopes of winning number 3 for number 10. In Game 2, Houston jumped out to a 17-2 lead in front of a loud home crowd and led by 14 points at halftime. The Liberty's Teresa Weatherspoon hit a three-pointer early in the second half as the Liberty gained momentum. 
Houston didn't make a field goal for the first eight minutes of the second half, and New York's Crystal Robinson caught fire, scoring 11 points in a 14-2 Liberty run. The teams fought gallantly down the stretch and alternated leads. The game was tied with 16 seconds left. Cynthia Cooper patiently took the ball down the court. She passed to Tina Thompson, who spun and hit an outstanding bank shot with 2.4 seconds left on the clock. The compact center in Houston erupted in celebration. The Liberty were out of timeouts, and Teresa Weatherspoon took the inbound pass, took a couple of steps, and heaved a desperation shot from over half court. And it went in. Confusion and bewilderment ensued. Bits of confetti fell as if the Comets had won. Sections of the Houston crowd still cheered, not realizing what had happened. The basket counted, however, and a stunned Comets team left the floor as the Liberty rejoiced in forcing a winner-take-all Game 3. The game marked the first time the Houston Comets lost a postseason game at home. Weatherspoon's shot still stands as one of the most dramatic shots in WNBA history. That too is a memory that I will never forget because when she launched that shot, it was almost directly in front of my position where I was sitting along writer's row. When she let it go, I didn't think it had a chance. But as it got closer and closer to the basket, I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh. And sure enough, when it banked and went in, I jumped up out of my seat in disbelief. It was just one of those moments in sports that you hope that you are there for, but one I never expected to be that close to. Weatherspoon's game-winning shot left Houston's highly charismatic coach Van Chancellor both sleepless and speechless. When the ball was in the air, I said, oh my gosh, that thing has got a shot to make it. It goes in. We go in the locker room, and there's not much to say. And I stayed up all night. I didn't sleep a wink that night thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to tell our team? Because, we see, we played the next afternoon. We played back-to-back in those days. And I walked in the locker room. I still didn't have anything to say. And I gathered them up, and I was ready to make a little talk. And Cooper said, hey, coach, there ain't no way New York can beat us two games in a row. Let's go practice. that, that was the end of it, and we got in that game, and they were determined not to lose. Well, you know, the shot was devastating. I think to everyone, we thought Tina Thompson had hit the winning shot. You know, we were probably all half celebrating and half relieved that we didn't have another game, and then all of a sudden, the amazing shot by Teresa Weatherspoon. For me, I don't really look at the past much. I mean, I don't really look at the negativity. I really just look at what the task is. I'm solution-based. And the solution to that shot was to come back the next day 100% and win a championship. And people didn't realize that I'd had a bad game. I'd shot like one for 10. I'd had a really bad game. You know, I saw it in my mind. It's another opportunity for me to play up to my potential. And I was just like, Coach Chancellor, there's no way we're going to lose this next game. We got him. You know, that was a lucky shot. In my mind, that was a lucky shot. I didn't play well. That's not going to happen two games in a row. Cooper and the rest of the Comets made good on Cooper's promise to Coach Chancellor. There was no way they'd lose Game 3. Cooper led all scorers with 24 points. More than half the Liberty scored the entire game, as the Comets claimed their third straight title with a 59-47 win. Cynthia Cooper held Perrot's jersey high in the air after the win. 
She talks about what winning that third championship meant to her personally and to the team. I wanted to pay a tribute because I lost my mom earlier that year and we lost Kim back in August. And so I wanted to pay a tribute to two special people in my life. And so while we had a lot of reasons and excuses to underachieve, I really wanted to pay a tribute and, and give us an opportunity to really pay homage to two special people. And the only way you do that is to fight through adversity and go win a championship. No one would have said anything to us in any negative way had we not won that championship. But I didn't want that to be our legacy. I wanted us to be able to fight through the difficult times that life might bring you and still come out on top and still win a championship. And the only way you do that is to stand on the podium. Stand on the podium, and now you can hold number 10's jersey, Kim Parra's jersey, and show the world how special she was to the team and to me and to all of her teammates. And that's how we handled that type of adversity. Cheryl Swoops told reporters after the game that the most important thing was that the Comets played how Kim Parrott would have wanted them to and never gave up, even after Parrott's tragic death, losing Game 1 at Los Angeles, or after Teresa Weatherspoon's buzzer beater. Tina Thompson added that the win was for Kim Parrott, and the team exhibited her desire, strength, and passion in the decisive game. The number three for number 10 rally cry captured the city of Houston and an estimated 60,000 fans attended the team's victory parade. Kim Parrott continues to inspire the WNBA as each year the league names the Kim Parrott Sportsmanship Award winner. The Comets entered the new millennium in the record books as the only WNBA champions of the 20th century and they entered their fourth season with an eye on the first title of the 2000s. The team still featured the big three nucleus, but on 2000's 12-player roster, only Janeth Arcane and Tammy Jackson played with the big three for all three previous championships. Two starters from the 99 team left before the 2000 season. Chancellor says the road to the fourth championship was the toughest in some regards. By then, we had more players that wanted to be, you know, the best player on the team. And that became more difficult to get us to play together in the fourth year. There's no question about that. Getting together and playing is what the Comets did in the 2000 season. The offense still ran that good old C play that Van Chancellor added all the way back in 1997. The team kept winning with the play, but Cynthia Cooper found it more and more difficult to run as the whole league knew it was coming. We ran the C play every year. Everybody knew the play. The bench of the other team, so their bench would be calling the C play and telling their players on the court what was about to happen. That's how much people knew this play. So, you know, for me, I was like, y'all, we need to change plays. He was like, no, we've won a championship with this play. And I'm a player, so I've got to do what my coach says. So I'm going to run the play to the best of my ability. And, of course, it worked. We won one championship with the C-Play, two championships with the C-Play, knocked down a three-pointer to tie the game against New York, and that was the C-Play. <laughs> you know, every success that we had, the C-Play was a part of it, that little pick and roll. Every team brought their best against the Comets every night, and few, if any, experts thought the Comets could win their fourth straight title. 
but the team put together a 10-game win streak midway through the season. They also won their last five games of the season to finish 27-5, although they still finished second in the Western Conference behind the Los Angeles Sparks. Houston swept the Sacramento Monarchs in the conference semifinals and faced the Sparks in the conference finals. By then, L.A. had made great strides. They'd had two dispersal drafts where teams had dispersed, and they got great players, so their talent level was catching us every day. They beat us all three times during the year. Losing all three games in the regular season is one thing, but best two out of three in the Western Conference Finals is another. The Comets took Game 1 in Houston by 21 points. Game 2 in LA was much closer. The score was tied with just over 40 seconds left in the game. Chancellor called the C play, and the Sparks had planned for it. We ran our bread and butter. Arcane to Cooper. Cooper would run screen and roll. Cheryl would be on the other side. And so the play broke down, and actually they doubled Cooper, and she couldn't get the ball, and she hit Arcane. Arcane dribbles to the head of the free throw line. She did a little spin fall away, and it didn't hit nothing but the bottom of the net. That's how we won that game. And she said, I'd made that shot in Brazil all my life. I knew I could make that shot. The Comets won the Western Conference Finals and marched on to their fourth straight WNBA Finals. Their opponent would again be the New York Liberty, but there wouldn't be any buzzer beaters for the Liberty in the 2000 Finals. Cooper sewed up Game 1 in New York with a clutch shot that Chancellor called one of the best you'll ever see. Tina Thompson said that for Cynthia Cooper, however, it might have been one of only the top 50 in Cooper's career. The Comets came home for Game 2, and Cooper hit another clutch shot, this time with 21 seconds left in the game to send it into overtime. Cooper then hit another three-pointer in OT, and regular season MVP Cheryl Swoop scored seven points in the extra frame to clinch the Comets' fourth consecutive championship. It was a championship few outside of Houston expected them to win, but the Comets went undefeated through the playoffs. Long before the playoffs started, Cooper had announced that 2000 would be her final season. The fourth consecutive championship was the perfect ending to an incredible career. And for the fourth consecutive time, Cooper was named the WNBA Finals Most Valuable Player. The Comets continued winning in future seasons, but never reached the WNBA Finals again. Houston lost in the conference semifinals in four of the next six seasons and lost in the conference finals once. Cheryl Swoops continued starring for the Comets, winning two more WNBA MVP awards for a total of three in her career. Tina Thompson also continued her brilliant career and finished as a nine-time WNBA All-Star. In October of 2006, Comets and Rockets owner Les Alexander put the Comets up for sale. Van Chancellor, three-time WNBA Coach of the Year and coach of the 2004 gold medal-winning U.S. Olympic women's team, resigned as coach of the Comets in early January of 2007. In late January of 2007, the WNBA approved the sale of the Comets to a Houston-area businessman. Despite apparent good intentions, the new ownership couldn't keep the team financially stable. The WNBA announced the folding of the Houston Comets in December of 2008. The Houston Comets accomplished a lot during their 12 years. They won four straight championships. They also helped build a new league. Through it all, the players were an inspiration to their fans. Cynthia Cooper, Cheryl Swoops, Tina Thompson, 
and Coach Van Chancellor are all now members of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Cooper is currently head coach of the women's basketball team at Texas Southern. Thompson is currently head coach at the University of Virginia. Swoops has served as both a head and assistant coach at the college level. All three players were named to the WNBA's top 20 players of all time for the league's 20th anniversary season in 2016. Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Swoops are also members of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. The Houston Comets Big Three and many of their WNBA teammates and opponents were the first generation of American women to benefit from Title IX by gaining greater opportunities to participate in sports at a young age. A 2012 New York Times Sunday Review article stated that before Title IX was enacted, about 310,000 girls and women played high school and college sports in the United States. By 2012, that number had jumped to well over 3.3 million. Title IX was huge for my generation, and it's the reason why we were able to play in a professional league called the WNBA. All of the pioneers and players that came before us you know, didn't have the opportunity. It started a little too late for them. And I thought it would pass me over as well. And remember, I was a 33-year-old, 34-year-old rookie. The Comets may have flashed across the sky for but a few seasons. Their legacy, however, left a star for many young athletes to dream about a professional basketball career. At least four WNBA first overall draft choices, Lindsey Harding, Brittany Griner, Neka Ogumake, and Cheney Ogumake grew up in the Houston area as the Comets reigned. One-time WNBA All-Star Kelsey Bone attended Comets games as a youngster. Cooper says inspiring young women motivated her while she was playing in the WNBA for the Houston Comets. It was always my dream to play professional basketball. I had to do that overseas. I didn't have a league that I could look at basketball players on television and dream of playing that sport and mimic them and be like them. When I was growing up, we had the NBA and we had, you know, Lynette Woodard and Ann Myers, Drysdale. And so those were the players that we we looked up to, but it was very few of them. But now when I started playing in the WNBA, you know, I thought, hey, I want to inspire a little kid. I want to inspire someone to dream of playing in the WNBA, not dream of going overseas, not dream of just going to be a great executive at a company, but adding in the dream of playing professional basketball in America in front of their family and friends and and making a living from it. And so that was kind of the spirit that I use for every workout, for every game, for every motivational speech, or whenever I was going out into the community and we're doing different community events, you know, I thought, hey, there might be a young kid that sees me and I'm able to inspire her to dream of being a WNBA All-Star. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Celebrating the Houston Comets. Please note that Texas native Teresa Weatherspoon is part of the 2020 induction class of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. She'll also be joined by such greats as former Major League Baseball star Adrian Beltre, Heisman Trophy winner Robert Griffin III, and Olympic champion Michelle Carter. To learn how you can attend Texas Sports Hall of Fame events, including the induction ceremony, please contact the Texas Sports Hall of Fame 
at area code 254-756-1633. Again, that's 254-756-1633. This episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast was brought to you by the Template Suites, Waco Northeast location. Please visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco, and when you do, book your stay at the Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. A special thank you to Coach Cooper, Coach Chancellor, and William Stigney Jr. for interviewing for this episode. <laughs>